It's cold outside, so take a break and find a spot on a frozen lake to drill a hole and drop a line and fish for love that's real divine. One look, you're saying, holy mackerel, and now you're caught, hook, line, and tackle. But love's not always nice and sunny. Your walleyes wander, and that ain't funny. So set your drag, it might get choppy, especially if your love life's kinda crappie. We'll boost up your morale a bit. Listen up, just for the halibut. The northern pike is freshly cooked, so hang on tight, it's time for Hooked. My name is Jason. I'm one of the teaching pastors here on staff. And if you are new to our church since Christmas, I just want you to know this is a safe place for you. It's a place where you can ask questions. You you don't have to have it all figured out. And you don't even have to believe what we believe. The Bible, though, says that if you draw close to God, he will draw close to you. And wouldn't that be something this year if you took a step towards God, whatever that might be, and you experience him drawing close to you in return? I'm telling you, there's nothing like it in this world. When the God of this universe begins to draw close to you and pour into your life. And so we're grateful to have you with us today. We are in the second week of a series called Hooked because some of us are single and want to be hooked. Some of us are married and kind of wish we were unhooked. But the ultimate goal when you get married is to stay hooked, which is why today's message is titled Keeper. My wife Sarah and I met when we were in high school. We had some mutual friends, and so I knew who she was. But one night at a soccer game, I fell in love with her bouncy and joyful personality. We were married in June of 2002, so we've been married for 15 years or so. But we dated for several years before that. And I'm telling you, as well as I thought I knew Sarah when we dated, I found out that when you get married, you learn things about each other that you had never known before. For example, shortly after we were married, we moved into our first house. And we started to decorate. Now, keep in mind, I'm a 23-year-old guy, so my contribution to this marriage was a used couch and a Michael Jordan poster. Okay, that was kind of what I brought in for home decor. And so one night, Sarah says, I'm going to go to Home Depot, and I'm going to paint, I'm going to get some paint, because I'm going to paint an accent wall. I had never heard of an accent wall before. I wondered if it was going to be a French accent, a Spanish accent, what this was going to be. But at 9 o'clock at night, she said, I'm going to go to Home Depot and get some paint. I said, well, good luck. I'm going to go to bed. At 3 o'clock in the morning, I got up to go to the bathroom, and I hear these sniffles coming from our living room. And I walk out, and Sarah is trying to hold back tears. And behind her is the most hideous purple wall you have ever seen in your entire life. She said, look at the wall. It looks terrible. Now, here's what I didn't understand as a brand new husband. I thought that when your wife had already acknowledged how bad something looked, (laughs) that it would be acceptable for you to agree with her assessment. (laughs) Apparently, that's not the case, okay? If you're newly married, you got to get this. If your wife ever says, I look so bad in this dress, even though she's already said that's true, you, you have to go, oh, I don't think so, not at all. That's what this situation was like, but I didn't know that. And so I took one look at this wall, and I went, oh, that looks awful. And I went back to bed. That didn't go over real great at the beginning of our marriage. 
Now, like Sarah and me, you may have discovered that you have some differences with each other. One of you wants to go to Home Depot at 9 o'clock. The other one wants to go to bed. One of you wants to make the wall look beautiful. The other one doesn't care as long as there's not a hole in the wall. One of you is a planner. The other one's more spontaneous. One of you is a thinker. The other one's a feeler. One of you wants to go out. The other one wants to stay in. That you have some differences with one another. In fact, when Sarah and I were first married, I remember I had about six items in my bathroom drawer. So toothpaste, toothbrush, razor, shaving cream, soap and towel, it's really all I needed. Sarah had like 96 things in her drawer, most of which I could not identify for you. In fact, one morning we were getting ready for work and she grabs this thing and starts sticking it up to her eye. I'm an only child, I have no sisters. And so this looked like a scene out of a horror movie to me. It was like, <laughs> I said, what are you, are you going to take your eyeball out with that thing? She said, no, I'm going to curl my eyelashes. I was like, wow, that's different. <laughs> if my wife has a half hour of free time, she will get on the phone and she will call a friend and they'll talk for a half hour straight. My friend Mike recently was on the phone with another guy for 40 minutes and when he got off, he looked at his wife and he said, I feel like I just gave birth. <laughs> Men and women are different. But here's the good news for you. I believe that God created those differences for a reason. And not only that, but it's actually those differences that God is going to use to complement you and help you through life. Years ago, the University of Washington conducted a comprehensive study it was 2,000 couples over the span of 20 years, so a really long time. And what they were trying to discover was, what are the key ingredients to a successful marriage? They concluded that there were two. They found that when these two ingredients were in place, most likely the marriage would succeed. When these two ingredients were lacking, most likely the marriage would fail. What were the two ingredients? Love and respect. Your marriage can get through anything with love and respect, which is interesting because some of you think, you know, our marriage is struggling because of those in-laws. They're always meddling in our business, and if we didn't have that, then our marriage wouldn't be struggling. Or it's because of our financial problems and employment or money issues. Or it's the kids, you know, little kids and the strain or a health issue. And I don't want to minimize those things. I mean, when you're going through something stressful in life, that is going to put a strain naturally on your marriage. But here's the truth. The reason your marriage is struggling, if it is, is not because of all those outside problems and issues. The reason why your marriage is struggling is because there is a lack of love and respect to deal with those issues. In fact, as they concluded this study at the University of Washington, again, 2,000 couples over a 20-year period of time, as they were conducting it, they started to notice that oftentimes one of the spouses would withdraw when there was conflict. So conflict would arise, and this spouse would just kind of stonewall the other one and go, I'm not going to deal with that, and they would just sort of walk away. Can you guess which spouse that was? Well, yeah, it was the men. 85% of the time, this is what the men would do in conflict. This isn't stereotyping men. It's not pigeonholing them. In fact, 15% of the women did this. So not all of us are going to fall into these neat categories. But statistically speaking, this was a pattern that was off the charts. And so the researchers asked the wives, they said, why do you think your husband does that? And the wives were like, well, I have no idea. I mean, I don't even think he knows why he does that. 
And then they asked the wives, they said, well, when he, when he behaves that way, how does that make you feel? And the wives said, well, I, it makes me feel unloved. I feel like he doesn't care about my feelings, and I just feel like he doesn't love me. There's that word, love. Conversely, as they were conducting this study, they noticed that oftentimes the wives would express their frustration through a complaint or through a criticism. So these researchers are observing these couples, and they go, yeah, there's a complaint, and yeah, there's another criticism. And so they asked the husbands about this. They said, hey, how does it make you feel when your wife is complaining or criticizing you in some way? And the men said, well, I never feel like I can be good enough. I just feel like she doesn't respect me. There's that word, respect. I'm going to say this next statement twice so that you don't miss it, but both men and women need love and respect. Both men and women need love and respect. It's not like women don't need respect and men don't need love. Men and women have equal value before God, and both of them need love and respect. But the numbers don't lie. In some way, men tend to crave respect and women tend to crave love. What are we to do with this? Well, most of this research comes from a book by an author named Dr. Emerson Egrich. The book is called Love and Respect. And after he saw this study that was done at the University of Washington, he decided to conduct his own study. He interviewed 7,000 couples. And one of the questions that he asked them was this. When you're having conflict with each other, do you feel disrespected or do you feel unloved? And as the couples thought about this, 83% of the men said, I feel disrespected, and 72% of the women said, I feel unloved. Now, up until this point, I've been sharing research that was done in the 21st century, but now I want to read to you something that was written 2,000 years ago. It was from the first century. It was written around 60 AD or so. It's Ephesians 5.33. It says this, each man must love his wife as he loves himself. And the wife must respect her husband. Did you catch that? Here's a command from God saying, Wives, you must respect your husbands, and husbands, you must love your wife. It might interest you to note that nowhere does the Bible say that men are to respect their wives or wives are to love their husbands. And again, it's not because women get to be unloving and men get to be disrespectful. It's because God knew 2,000 years before social scientists ever discovered it that men tend to crave respect and women tend to crave love. Now, before I leave this verse, I want to point out a seemingly insignificant word, but it might be the most important word in this verse. Let's read it again. It says, Each man must love his wife as he loves himself. And the wife must respect her husband. The word that I'm referring to is must. What does must convey? Well, it conveys that this is a command, which is important because some of the husbands might be thinking right now, I'm not going to love her. She doesn't love me. That's pretty obvious. If you were in my house, you would know that she doesn't love me at all, so why should I love her? And some of the wives might be thinking, I'm not going to respect him. Respect is earned. He hasn't earned my respect. He's not a respectable man, so why would I do that? But look again at the verse. Does it say that husbands should love their wives if they feel like it? 
Does it say wives should respect their husbands as long as he's earned it or deserved it? No, it simply says must. Here's my question. Do you get a pass on obeying God just because you don't feel like it? Do you get a pass on obeying God just because of this other person or what they've done or how they behave? Now, I want to be really clear here. I'm not talking about situations like physical abuse. If you are being physically abused right now, you need to immediately get out of that environment. In fact, that's the most loving thing you could do, to separate yourself and force that other person to deal with their issues. I'm not talking about situations like that. I'm talking about the day-to-day grind of marriage. And marriage can be a day-to-day grind. There are some of us who came to church this morning, and you would say, you know what, I don't know when this happened, but we have just grown so far apart from each other. And I'm not even really sure like, how we reconnect again. And there are others of you who would say, you know what, we've got, we've got a great relationship, but there's that one issue, and it just keeps coming up, and we keep banging against it, and we can never quite get over it. Here's a thought. What if this year was the year where you grew closer and stronger in your marriage than ever before? I absolutely believe that God could do that in your life, but it's going to take love, and it's going to take respect, and it's going to take each of us making three declarations that I want to share with you today. The first declaration is this. I'm going to let God, not my spouse, meet my needs. We live in a culture right now that's not exactly conducive to creating healthy expectations around marriage. For instance, In the last decade, one of the most popular TV shows has been The Bachelor. How does this show work? Well, 26 women date one guy. And they film this show over a three-week period of time. And so you'll hear the women, and they'll be like, Oh, I've never felt this way before. I'm so in love. He's the one. And I'm going, after three weeks? I mean, you've only been on three dates with this guy. And for two of those, the token psycho girl was trying to sabotage you because there's one on every show. Or the guys will go, hey, uh, you want to get in the hot tub and uh, see if we're compatible for a lifelong commitment of marriage and, and raising our children together? It's insane. But here's what this does in the minds of singles. It creates this expectation in the minds of singles that marriage is this dreamy, sweep-me-off-my-feet kind of feeling. It's not about the person's character. It's not about their relationship with Jesus Christ. It's about how good do they look in a suit or a swimsuit, and how well do they kiss during a moonlit, candlelight date overlooking the Eiffel Tower. Look at what the Bible has to say to singles. If you're single here today, or if you know somebody who's single, you want to dial in on this. It says, if you do get married, it's not a sin. Isn't that good news for those of us who are married? (laughs) Some of you are starting to wonder (laughs) about that. If you do get married, it's not a sin. He says, however, I am trying to spare you the extra problems that come with marriage. And all the married people said, amen. But don't say it too loud, because extra problem is sitting right next to you, isn't it? (laughs) And all the single people look like a dog who just heard a whistle. They're like, really? Extra problems? I thought he was going to complete me. I thought she was going to complete me. No, that was a movie. (laughs) The reality is, there are some extra problems that come 
with marriage. Now, don't get me wrong. Marriage is wonderful. God has a purpose behind it. And most of it is great, but there's about 10% or so that is an extra problem. And here's what happens. Some people get so fixated on that 10% that they start to forget why they got married and why they made that commitment. And it's because their expectations are being shaped by Hollywood instead of God's holy word. Now, here's the irony in all this. Oftentimes, extra trouble comes in marriage when you start to worship the marriage instead of worshiping God. Look at what Philippians 4.19 says about this. He writes, My God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Singles. Notice what he doesn't say. He doesn't say that your boyfriend or your girlfriend is going to be able to meet all of your needs. You want to feel loved you want to have significance. You want to feel worth and value in life. Well, you just got to find a boyfriend or a girlfriend. Or you just got to get married. That's not what it says. Married couples, notice what the verse doesn't say. Doesn't say that your spouse is going to be able to meet all of your needs. And if you expect them to do that, you are setting them up to fail because they were never created to do that. Let me try to illustrate this for you. Some people have a relationship that can be drawn out sort of like the letter V. In other words, both couples are looking to something outside of the marriage to fulfill and meet their needs. Sometimes it's a hobby. Sometimes it's a friendship. Not getting it in the marriage, so we'll get it at work. We'll get it with friends. For a lot of people, this is sexual in nature. In fact, just this week, I was talking to a couple who's going through a divorce. And it's been really painful. And if you ask the wife why they're getting this divorce, she would say to you, oh, it's because of his pornography addiction. He looked outside of the marriage to have his needs met. And if you asked him why the marriage is ending, he would say, well, it's because she had an affair. She too looked outside of the marriage to have her needs met. And today they are both profoundly unhappy people. Another way to draw out some relationships, maybe like the letter A, and in a relationship like this, both people are looking to the other one to meet their needs. So I need to feel good about myself. I need to feel a sense of worth and value. And I'm going to get that from you. These people are usually frustrated because they're asking their spouse to do something they were never created to do. Always frustrated in the marriage. A healthy relationship can be drawn out more like the letter H. So in this relationship, both people are looking up to God. And they're saying, God, you supply my needs. I'm going to come to church and I'm going to worship you and you're going to fill me up. I don't know how that's going to happen, but as I sing, you're going to fill me up with your love. And I'm going to read the Bible and I'm going to pray and I'm going to seek you, God, and you're going to fill me up in my life. And then from the overflow of that, we are going to love one another. Think about the relationships that you're in right now. Would you describe them as a V, an A, or an H? See, many times you've probably heard people say that in order to love another person, you have to learn how to love yourself. And that might be true. But here's my question. Where do you get that love for yourself? Do you get it from yourself? Do you just talk yourself into it and go, you know what, I'm lovable and I'm special and people like me and come on? Uh, probably not. Do you get that from other people? Do other people fill you up and give you a sense of worth and significance? Most likely not. 
you will receive that love from Jesus Christ. That when you realize that the creator of this universe, he created you, and he loved you so much that he sent his son to die for you, your needs will be met. It's why I hope each of us today will declare, I am gonna look to God, not my spouse, to meet my needs. Second declaration that each of us need to make if we wanna have a closer and stronger marriage this year is I will let God, not my words, change my spouse. In 1 Peter chapter three, Peter is writing to a wife whose husband isn't a believer. And some of you are in a similar situation. You wanna go to church, she doesn't. You wanna worship God and raise the kids to know Christ and he's, this is not a value for him. And so you wonder, well, what should I do about that? Here's what the Bible says in 1 Peter 3. It says, your godly lives will speak to him better than words. He will be won over by watching your pure and godly behavior. Another translation says it this way. They may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful, there's that word again, and pure conduct. Now notice the heart of what Peter is saying here. Because I get emailed this question all the time. People will say, you know what? We're just not on the same page. We don't have the same faith. We don't have the same values. What should I do? Should I get a divorce? And I will always point them to 1 Peter chapter 3. And I will say, as best as you can, live a godly life and pray for that person. Pray that God would change their heart and that they would be won over by your godly behavior doesn't mean you can't talk about what's bothering you, doesn't mean that you should put up with poor behavior, doesn't mean you can't speak up for what you think your family should value, none of those things. But it does mean that we should let go of this notion that you can change your spouse. You can't change a human heart. Only God can change a human heart. In fact, it might be more effective if you talk to God more about what's bothering you and you talk to your spouse about that less. In his book, You and Me Forever, former pastor Francis Chan says it this way. He says, sincere and concentrated prayer will do infinitely more than any human strategy for a happy marriage. I remember reading that and thinking to myself, do I really believe that that's true? And I do. Friends, what if you begin to pray for your spouse to change in a specific area of life? Do you think that's a prayer that God could hear and God could answer? I do. In fact, that might be a more effective strategy than you trying to change them with your words. As I was writing this message, my wife Sarah said to me, she said, you know, I can't believe I've never told you this before, but about a year ago, my small group girls Bible study did this 30-day challenge. And part of the 30-day challenge was we had to go 30 days without criticizing our husband. I said, I don't remember that. She said, yeah, for 30 days, I would try to think of something that would you know, encourage you in your life. I said, I can't believe we've not talked about this. What happened? She said, well, it definitely changed me. But she said, surprisingly, I noticed that it changed you. She said, you were more attentive, more attentive to me. You were more tender towards me. My wife never said to me, be more tender, be more attentive. But her godly behavior began to win me over time. In his book, Power of the Other, Author Henry Cloud says this, research has shown that the brain responds best to a ratio of five positive feedback messages for every negative message. Now, I've heard statistics like that before, and you probably have as well, but I've always heard them in the context of a work relationship. 
So if you have some employees and you want to give them some critical feedback, you got to think of five positive things first. That's kind of how it works, right? Like, all right, one, two, three, four. All right, then you nail them with what you really want to say. <laughs> but what about in your marriage? What about with your spouse? Think back to the last month with me. What would you say has been the ratio of positive to negative feedback in that relationship? What would your spouse say has been the ratio of positive to negative feedback? I'd have you talk about that on the car ride home, but I'm fearful you'd get in a fight for sure. So just consider it yourself. But what if in your relationships, dating relationships, marriage relationships, whatever it might be, what if you begin to give a ratio of five to one positive to negative feedback? What do you think that would do for your relationships this year? That's why I hope each of us will declare, I am going to let God change my spouse, not my words. And by the way, if you happen to be in my wife's small group Bible study, you could do that 30-day challenge again. Okay, I'm just going to throw that out there since I had a couple extra minutes. Uh, here is the third declaration. I'm going to give to my spouse... I'm going to give thoughtfulness. I'm going to give attention. I'm going to give love. I'm going to give to my spouse, even if they don't do the same for me. Ephesians 5.25 says this. Husbands are to love their wives with the same love that Christ showed the church. So now we're starting to get a little more specific here. What, what does it look like to love your wife? It says, well, it's the same love that Christ showed the church. Here it is. He gave up his life for her. That's love. That's love. He didn't do it because he felt like it or didn't feel like it. He, he didn't do it because we first gave something to him so then he felt like he needed to give something to us. Jesus Christ gave up his life and that is the definition of love. Friends, great marriages, great relationships are built on both people saying, I am willing to give up something for this relationship. So let me ask you, what are you willing to give up? For some of you, it might be an online relationship. You say, oh, come on. I mean, we're just emailing. We, we just talk back and forth. It's not a big deal. No, I'm telling you. In time, that is going to drive a wedge in your marriage. You need to give that up. For some of you, it's a relationship at work. And you need to, to separate yourself from that relationship for a period of time. You need to give that up for the sake of your marriage. For some of you, it might be something more simple. It might mean that you give up some sleep to get up and feed the baby. It might mean that you give up living in a neighborhood you wanted to live in so that you could live in the neighborhood your spouse wanted to live in. It might mean giving up the remote control. Some of you are like, no way. I'll give up the online relationship, big deal, but not the remote, okay? But here's my question. When Jesus gave up his life for us, did he do so because we were meeting all of his needs? Well, that should make you chuckle on the inside a little bit because we weren't meeting any of his needs. At one point, Jesus says to his disciples, he says, how much longer do I have to put up with you? In other words, Jesus chose to love first. What if you loved first? What if you showed respect first? You say, well, I don't want to do that. They don't deserve that. Well, yeah, but you didn't deserve eternal life. You didn't earn your salvation. The Bible says that while we were still sinners... Jesus Christ came and he died for us. God so loved the world that he what? He gave up his one and only son. And he did that out of love. He loved first. 
Years ago, my wife and I went on a date to Sebastian Joe's ice cream shop down in Minneapolis. And when we got there, the line was almost out the door. But for once, my wife knew what she was going to order. And I say for once because my wife is kind of notorious for taking a long time to order. She's always got a question or two for the waiter or waitress. And so we get up to the line, and I say, I'll have raspberry chocolate chip. Sarah says, I'll have coffee ice cream. And the guy behind the counter goes, oh, I'm sorry, we're out of coffee ice cream. (laughs) And so now my wife is scrambling, and so she kind of falls back on what she generally tends to do, which is just sample. So she said, can I have a sample of the basil vanilla? Can I have a sample of the maple nut? What's in the honey cinnamon? Can I have a sample of that? And I looked at the line of people behind us, and I got embarrassed. And this is my own issue. I care way too much what other people think. But I wanted all of those people in line to know that I did not approve of all this crazy sampling that was going on up here. (laughs) And I wanted them to know I'm a fast, decisive person who knew what I wanted before I got up there in line. And so to show them this, I rolled my eyes and went like that with my hand. I thought my wife was looking the other way. But right as I did this, she turned to ask me a question, and that was unfortunate timing. (laughs) Because Sarah just looked at the first ice cream, she goes, I'll take that. It was salty caramel. She hates salty caramel. I know that because she told me several times that night how much she hates salty caramel. (laughs) And so we got outside, and it's my wife of 15 years. I love her dearly. It's this beautiful night. It should have been this great moment, but we were bickering so much about what had just happened that I was just trying to wolf down my ice cream so that we could get going. And I wish I could tell you that there was, we resolved this quickly, but it wasn't until we got home that my wife sat next to me on the couch and she told me again how she hates salty caramel. <laughs> but this time she did it with a smile on her face. And she gave me a little hug and she loved first. I didn't deserve it. I don't think I had even apologized for what I had done. But she chose to move towards me. If you're here today and you feel like your marriage is really struggling and you've really grown far apart from one another, what if today you said, I'm going to move towards you? Not because I feel like it, not because you deserve it, but because that's what love does. I'm going to move towards you. What if today you had some conflict with your spouse or with a relationship that you've been in? And what if today you said, in that conflict, I'm going to move towards you. I'm not going to wait for you to love me. I'm not going to wait for you to respect me or be thoughtful to me. I'm just going to choose to love you first. Wives, respect your husbands. Your husband gets up every day and goes about his business And there's always some guy who's better at something than he is. And there's always something in him that feels like, I'm just not good enough. And he just needs one person. One person who says, you know what? I think you're great. And I respect you and I honor you and I am your biggest fan. What a difference that would make in his life. Husbands. Love your wives. Every day she gets up and she's bombarded with images that say in some way, you're not lovable. You don't look like her. You don't have the figure that she does. You haven't been as successful at work or as a mom as she has been. 
And she just needs one person who says to her, I love you unconditionally no matter what. And I will always love you. Make a big difference in her life. Here's my homework for you this week. Get alone with your spouse. Go on a date with each other, sit down at dinner, talk about it in the car ride home, put the kids to bed early, and I want you to finish this sentence. Husbands, I want you to finish the sentence, I feel respected when? And just finish it. And then wives, I want you to finish this sentence, I feel loved when? And no rebuttals. No, well, I do do that. And well, if you didn't do this and I do that, remember last week when I didn't? No, 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 no. <laughs> just listen and, and just smile and just say, I'll do my very best to love you that way. I'll do my very best to respect you that way. And then give each other some grace because I can guarantee you a week or a month from now, we're gonna forget and we're gonna fall back into old patterns and we're gonna have to re-talk about this. But give each other some grace. Once again, here's what the Bible says. It says, each man must love his wife as he loves himself. And the wife must respect her husband. Love and respect. Those are the two keys to a successful marriage. You do that and you'll be stronger and closer than ever before. Let's all stand together as we close in prayer. God, I'm sure that there are some couples who are here today who came to church and it just feels like there's no hope. And maybe their spouse is here and maybe their spouse isn't, but it, it just feels like the gap is too wide and they've just grown so far apart. God, I pray that you would fill that person, you would fill that couple up with hope that comes from you that comes from believing in you and that you would supply that in their life. And God, I pray that they can take a step towards the other one, as hard as that might be, that they would love first and they would move towards one another and just take a step. And God, I pray for those couples who, they may have some kids and it's just stressful and it's really putting a strain on their marriage or there's a one issue that they kind of keep coming back to and God, I just pray for love and I pray for respect. And I pray for an ability to communicate openly and to listen well to each other and to put the other person's needs and, and desires even ahead of our own. God, that will take a supernatural ability from you. God, I thank you for every marriage. I thank you for every person, every relationship that's represented here today. God, I pray that we can honor you in those relationships. And we pray it in Jesus' name, amen. If you need prayer, come on down front. Otherwise, have a great day, everybody.